from KQED. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We turn now to learn more about Proposition 16, which would allow public entities to specifically consider a person's race, sex, and ethnicity when making hiring or admissions decisions. Let's start with an explainer from our friends at KQED's Bay Curious podcast. Here's host Olivia Allen Price speaking with KQED's Katie Orr. KQED politics and government reporter Katie Orr joins us today to talk through Prop 16. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Olivia. At its core, Prop 16 is asking voters basically how they feel about affirmative action. And I do want to talk about that phrase, affirmative action, because we hear it thrown around a lot in politics, but I think sometimes we can forget what it actually means. So what are we talking about when we say affirmative action? So historically, there have been some groups such as women, people of color, who have been excluded from employment or educational opportunities. And so affirmative action is a practice where these specific groups are actually given preferential treatment to access those opportunities now, with the goal being uh, to give them more parity, to increase equality and diversity, and tackle lingering inequalities that we still deal with today. Okay, and Proposition 16 would repeal a ban that California has had on affirmative action for more than two decades now. Where did that ban first come from? For that, we need to go back to the 1990s. So Pete Wilson was the governor for much of that time. Wilson was more conservative than many California lawmakers are now, and he strongly opposed affirmative action. A lot of Californians agreed with Governor Wilson. They passed Proposition 209 in 1996. That banned the state from considering race, gender, ethnicity, things like that, when hiring, awarding contracts, and admitting students into public universities. And that law has been in place ever since. What would Proposition 16, which is what we're voting on this year, do? So Prop 16 would overturn Prop 209, meaning that the state could once again consider race and sex and ethnicity in those decisions of hiring, awarding contracts, and admitting kids into our public universities here in California. I'm really glad that you brought up university admissions because that's where we usually hear about affirmative action. What kind of impact would this prop have on California's public universities? It's really hard to say. Um, Supporters say that it would increase racial diversity at these universities, especially the top performing universities like UC Berkeley and UCLA. Critics of this proposition are worried that it could hurt some racial groups. When people hear the words affirmative action, they actually have a gut reaction related to fairness. And I spoke with Janelle Scott, who is a professor at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Education, about this. Some people fear that they'll miss out, but they especially fear that they'll miss out because they think they deserve it, right? Whereas other people, um, they believe don't. But she also points out that the way we measure who is quote-unquote, deserving, is problematic. We're relying on measures that seem to be only merit-based, but would actually measure a whole lot of social status and social privilege. For instance, you know, somebody's grades, somebody's SATs, somebody's, you know, extracurriculars, which might speak to whether or not they deserve to be at this high-tier university. 
they tend to track a lot with a person's socioeconomic status. Without a kind of holistic assessment um, that takes into account, you know, um, multiple ways of measuring intelligence and competence and talent, we're left with indicators that map really neatly onto race and socioeconomic status and immigration status. Scott also points out that the Varsity Blues admission scandal and a recent state audit of UC admissions both highlight what many of us already know, that white wealthy people often find ways to get a leg up in the current system. There's been a different kind of affirmative action in place for wealthy people who have had access to preferential admissions through their wealth or or political or social connection. All right. And then beyond education, this isn't, you know, just just about education, what other public sectors are going to see impact if this passes? So one area where we could see a big effect is state contracts. The state awards, you know, hundreds of contracts for various projects. And supporters of Prop 16 say that women and minority-owned businesses have lost out on a lot of these contracts because they don't have the same connections that, say, a firm owned by a white man might have, the same connections or the same resources. So supporters say that this could give those businesses a boost and essentially level the playing field for women and minorities. Now, Proposition 209 banned preferential treatment, which we've been talking a lot about, but it also banned discriminatory treatment. So I guess, is there risk with overturning 209? You know, could that open the door for more discrimination? Well, we have to keep in mind that affirmative action would not be the only law in place. There are several state laws as well as federal laws in place that uh, are meant to ensure against discrimination. And I know one other concern has been, you know, are we going to see effectively like quotas? So let's say UC Berkeley, you know, has these ideas about what the racial makeup of a class is, and they're just looking to fill those quotas. Will that come to fruition? No. Quotas are against federal law. And actually, uh, the UC Board of Regents just passed a measure reaffirming that none of their campuses will ever use a quota system. But I will say critics of Prop 16 have expressed concerns that while we might not have a, a specific quota spelled out, They're worried that there will be some kind of secret target in mind that schools will try to fill, regardless of whether or not they're actually allowed to. And let's talk about arguments, you know, for and against Prop 16. Who is lining up in support of this so far? So the Yes on 16 campaign has drawn a lot of um, high-profile names, uh, Kamala Harris, has been supportive of it. Governor Gavin Newsom has been supportive of it. And it's really, I think, the campaign is trying to capitalize on this national conversation we've been seeing about socioeconomic uh, justice, um, race and equity, uh, those kinds of conversations, because they have been trying, supporters of affirmative action have been trying to overturn Prop 209 basically since it was passed. So this is the moment they're really trying to seize and trying to capitalize on this attention and get that message through and finally uh, overturn the ban. And what about the opposition? The opposition to Prop 16 doesn't have the high-powered names associated with it, but their argument 
isn't as hard to make, though. I mean, they're on the no side of the proposition. They don't have to convince anyone to, like, change anything. It's hard to get people to change their minds on affirmative action because there's a feeling that our universities are relatively diverse without uh, an affirmative action policy in place. It had increased graduation rates for underrepresented minority students uh, because they were going to schools where their academic credentials put them in the ballpark with other students. I spoke with University of San Diego law professor Gail Harriet about this. They wanted to increase diversity, uh, but they weren't allowed to use it just in terms of race anymore. It caused the University of California to concentrate on students who are actually in need. This is lower-income students, students whose parents didn't go to college. She's concerned that if universities are once again allowed to consider race in college admissions, that's all they'll look at. They want to be able to measure disadvantage just in terms of race. Harriet's concerned that Prop 16 might actually mean state universities end up admitting more middle-class students based on race instead of those with the most need. Hmm, that's interesting. Although, I guess it's worth remembering that Prop 16 would allow race to be considered, but that doesn't mean universities would have to stop using any of these other factors, right? Yes, that's right. It would be one of the elements they would be allowed to consider in admissions. All right. What about campaign finance on this one, Katie? How's the money looking as of now? It's pretty lopsided, actually. Uh, Right now, at the end of September, supporters of Prop 16 have raised $14 million, uh, whereas the opponents have raised about $1 million. All right. Well, KQD politics reporter Katie Orr, thank you. You're welcome. As an explainer on Proposition 16 from KQED's Bay Curious Prop Fest series. You can find more of their Proposition Explainers at baycurious.org. And now we want to hear from you, our listeners. After hearing that, what are your questions or comments about Proposition 16? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And joining me now to take those questions is KQED's politics reporter, Katie Orr. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mina. So I'm really struck by that last point on financing with the yes side having 14 million and the no with 1 million, but because Prop 16 has been struggling in the polls. Can you tell us what the most recent polling on this has said? Yeah, and actually I can update those fundraising numbers for you. It's funny because they keep changing. The yes side now has $17 million raised, while the no side still is stuck around $1 million. The interesting thing about that is uh, the no side has uh, over 3,000 contributors, while the supportive side has uh, just over 480. So that would suggest that the no side is getting smaller grassroots contributions, whereas the yes side is getting larger donations, you know, obviously from a smaller group of people. And I think, though, it speaks to the fact that as you mentioned, the the prop is struggling right now. Um, polls that we've seen uh, have put it at about 30% of likely voters of supporting it and two thirds being either opposed or undecided. Um, and the campaign, the Yes On campaign uh, people said that their internal polls show much the same thing, but their polls also show that once people learn about, you know, what they say the, the proposition will actually do, um, they, they come over to the Yes side. But they're going to have to start spending that $17 million on um, ad campaigns, I think, to get people more aware. I mean, ballots are going out, right? And 
people are casting their votes and I, you know, maybe I'm not in the target market, but haven't seen a lot of ads <laughs> for for 16 so far. So they got to start spending that money. Well, we're hearing a couple of people who are, uh, well, let me read Bill. Prop 209 didn't ban affirmative action. The text doesn't even mention affirmative action. It banned racial discrimination. Lifting that ban would make it legal for the state government to discriminate on the basis of race. If you're in favor of that, well, say so. I, I think this is interesting because discrimination has been used, as you said, on both sides. So can you talk about how the no on 16 defines discrimination and how the yes on 16 is talking about discrimination here. Yeah, it's a it's it's so interesting because as someone else pointed out too that both sides have used uh, Martin Luther King as a you know as someone to back their their argument and I think it gets dicey because a lot of the opposition to um, Prop 16 comes from Chinese American groups who are concerned about the effect it might have on um, students from that background and and their admission rates to like the, the UC and so you're you're putting to what we you know, condition, you're putting groups that we can, we traditionally consider minority groups against each other, you know, so you can make a discrimination case perhaps on both sides. Um, although there has been a, a recent study from UC Berkeley that was commissioned by the university, um, the office of the president, the University of California office of the president that found that with affirmative action, white students and Asian students do you know lose some ground but not as much ground as black and brown students lose without affirmative action the the asian students and white students are more able to you know make up and stay on a relatively even playing field than the other group of students so there are some differences and of course though there are so many studies out there the opponents point to a study that say well you know enrollment for black and latino students has gone up um, after affirmative action was removed. Um, but I think it is really dicey because it's not just like a, excuse the phrase, black and white um, problem here. It's a very nuanced issue. It is. And interestingly as well, one of the most prominent yes on 16 groups is actually a Chinese American group. So uh, while there are s some Asian American groups that have been quite vocal in their opposition to Proposition 16, there certainly have been groups that are in support of it as well. And I mean, this is specifically on the question of college admissions, but there's also, of course, as you say, hiring and contracting issues involved in this as well. Uh, let me see if I can just quickly bring Grace from Oakland into the conversation. Hi, Grace. Join us. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Hi. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah. So my name is Grace. I'm a um, Chinese-American student, and I do agree that, um, you know, critical and informed coverage on Prop 16 is going to be necessary um, because this proposition would really benefit students like me. Um, so we already know that discrimination is already banned under federal and state law. And so passing Prop 16 um, would be um, giving us a historical tool to reach uh, pay parity, equity in hiring, retention, admissions, and contracting opportunities. So uh, I am in favor and um, I hope to continue advocacy so that more uh, of our community members are informed. Uh, thanks for weighing in, 
Grace, let me read a tweet from Michael. Did Sasha and Malia require affirmative action to get into Michigan and Harvard, or did they do it on their own merit? Let's keep the socioeconomic boost that, say, UC Berkeley currently uses. Robert writes, I was a state employee at an executive level before Proposition 209 passed. At that time, there was a rule that before the department could hire a white person, it had to come up with a good reason why no person of color could be hired for the position. That is the policy we should expect the state government to return to. I mean, are we already seeing plans drawn up in the event that, uh, you know, this changes, <laughs> that well, Proposition 209 you know, is overturned? I don't know about specific plans, but I will say the University of California Board of Regents has actually come out in support of um, Prop 16, which is unusual, um, you know, for them to weigh in something like that so publicly on something. Um, so they are clearly signaling that this is the way they want to go. And I think supporters are counting on a lot of, as I mentioned in the other piece, um, the, the social justice conversation that we're having right now as a country. They're hoping that that really translates um, into people voting for Prop 16. And But as we mentioned, so far, it doesn't seem to be going that way. It's an issue that voters need, from the supporter side anyway, uh, that voters need more um, education on uh, to really make that connection. They don't seem to be doing it just, you know, on their own. Daniel in West Sacramento, join us. Hi, Daniel. We just have a minute. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, we have so many better ways of doing this uh, of doing positive action uh, rather than going uh, and, and eliminating and, and, and allowing us to consider race. And in the Constitution, it's written in that we can consider local communities of interest. In fact, local communities of interest have to be considered when we do the redistricting or after each 10-year uh, census. And that is the way to go. It's, it's need-based rather than race-based. You don't know 10 years from now who's going to mis be misusing race. Well, Daniel, I understand your point, and I think uh, it's certainly something that you heard echoed in the opposition, right, Katie? Absolutely. They're saying they're making exactly that point, that there are other ways to consider um, who should get in and to schools and get contracts to, that take into account equality and not, not just race. Two final comments from listeners. This listener writes, I'm old enough to remember when race was used to discriminate. It was wrong then and it's wrong today. Peter tweets, as a white male, I had opportunities that BIPOC people do not. Black Indigenous people of color. I'm for Proposition 16. Hey, Katie, you are, thanks so much for putting together this piece and doing such a thorough explainer. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks to our listeners for weighing in. Voting is now. Uh, thanks also to Blanca Torres and to Danzel for producing today's segments. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.